uh, I recognize that uh, this sermon series is, is a little bit tough to listen to. We love our kids so much. We want to be great parents, but we fail at times. We feel shame about that. That shame's only intensified if we have children who right now are living far from the Lord. And that describes the situation for many. As I shared with you in week one of this sermon series, roughly 70 to 75% of our kids leave the church by the age of 23, leaving in the wake guilt-ridden parents. And so before I go any further, I want to say a few words to those of you who are haunted by the question, what went wrong? And here's, here's what I would say first. Just because your child is not faithful right now does not mean that you failed them as a parent. You might have done everything right, but that is no guarantee that your child would make the decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ because they have free will. In fact, the life of a biblical character by the name of Samuel reminds us of this. By no means was Samuel perfect, but he was faithful. He had a deep love and devotion for God, and he led the people of Israel with utmost integrity. And yet, despite his good example, both of his boys, his, his boys they made the decision, that's not the route we're going to go. We read these words in 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, to those of you who find yourself in a similar situation, I just want you to know how sorry I am. That I recognize that the pain and disappointment, that that runs deep. But I also want to encourage you to stop trying to figure out this question of what went wrong, what's the answer to that, and begin to focus on what you can do right, right now. That even if your children aren't still in your home under your roof, this is no time to give up. You still have influence. In fact, probably far greater influence than you or even your children realize. And so the question really becomes, how do I use my influence to turn the heart of my child back towards God, back towards Jesus Christ? So I want to share with you just a few suggestions this morning. There are lots, but let's start right here. Love fully. Love fully. Regardless of whether or not you agree with the decisions that your kids are making right now, don't miss an opportunity to express love to them. Now, that's going to be hard to do at times because your gut reaction in certain moments is going to be to, to criticize or condemn some of the decisions they're making because you can see clearly how those poor decisions are going to end. I want to encourage you to swallow those negative words. Swallow them. Instead, respond to your child the exact same way that Christ responded to you when you were living far from him. Rarely, if ever, rarely, if ever, do words of criticism and judgment turn a heart back towards Christ. But love has turned many. 
One of my favorite father's stories is about a man by the name of Joe Bailey. I heard this story long before I became a father, but it's always stuck with me. Joe was one of those parents who had a kid, his oldest son, who made the decision to leave the church, leave his faith, as soon as he got out of the house. So Joe's oldest boy, he moved into this run-down home with a group of guys and girls and everybody in that home. They did the things that people far from God do. And one night, Joe is awakened by a phone call. It's the middle of winter. It's cold. It's blustery outside. He's awakened to this phone call, and the voice on the other end of the line says this, Mr. Bailey, this is so-and-so, Captain from the police department. We've got your son down here. We picked him up for driving under the influence. Would you like to come get him? He said, of course. Put on his winter jacket, got in the car, drove as quickly as he could. It was a distance away. But he got there as quick as he could. When he walked into the, the police station and told the officer on duty, I'm Mr. Bailey, I'm here to collect my son, I, I understand you have him, they began to look and they said, I, we're sorry, we don't, we don't have him, he's not here. And so Joe figured, you know, I must have got my wires crossed, I was still sleepy, and so he got in his car and he took off down the road to the next nearest police station, 30 minutes away, he walked inside of that police station, walked up to the counter, saying, same conversation same response we don't have a Bailey here Joe spent the rest of the night traveling from one police station to another police station looking for his boy but he never could find him and finally at four o'clock in the morning he decided I'll just swing by the house and see if he happens to be back there he knew they always left the front door open and so he quietly walked inside walked down the hall to the room that he knew his son shared with a few other people, peeked his head in the door, and he saw his boy curled up in a sleeping bag, sleeping on the floor. And he thought to himself, this is not the time to wake him up and have a conversation. So he walked over, he knelt down, he kissed his son on the forehead, and then he walked out as quietly as he possibly could. It wasn't long before Joe's son started showing back up. He'd pop in for family dinners and show up at a few traditional family gatherings and he even started making appearances at church. As time went by, finally there was this day at a traditional family gathering which his son stood up and to the shock of everybody there, he made this announcement. He said, I've made a big decision in my life. He said, I've decided to go back to college and when I finish college, I'm going to go to seminary because I want to be a minister just like dad. It took two years, two years for Joe to finally work up the nerve. But he finally did on a father-son fishing trip. He said to his boy, he said, hey, I I just got to ask. After all that happened, what made you decide to come back? What was it? He said, oh, dad. He said, do you remember a few years ago when you got that phone call saying that I'd been arrested. He said, that was just one of the guys that I was sharing the house with. We thought it'd all be funny if we made that phone call and then we would wait for you to come by the house and when you came by the house to express concern and get upset, we would just laugh at you and and give you a hard time. And so everybody waited for that, for you to walk in and 
They made it till three in the morning and finally got tired and they all went to bed. But he said, I couldn't sleep because I was so heartbroken that you didn't come looking for me. He said, I wasn't asleep when you walked in that morning. I was still awake. I heard you walk down the hall and I anticipated that you'd jump right in the middle of me and just let me have it, but you didn't. He said, Dad, it was the kiss. He said, after that knowing kiss, I could not stay away from you. You see, when we treat our prodigal children the way God treated us when we were prodigals, it has the power to change hearts and lives and eternal destinations. So love fully. But second, apologize sincerely. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to dwell on what went wrong, but a whole lot of good can come out of humbly apologizing for what did wrong, go wrong. And some things went wrong. You say, how do you know? Well, I know because there's not a perfect parent alive, and no home is heaven on earth. There were some things that you said that you shouldn't have said, times that you misplaced your priorities. There were times that you were guilty of glaring hypocrisy, and what can you do about that now? Not a whole lot, but one thing you can do is apologize. You say, why should I? I'm the parent. They're the kids. They're out of the house. It's over and done with. I don't see the need to do that. There is a need. One of the needs is your child deserves to have you say, I'm sorry for the way that you failed as a parent. But beyond that, every time we own our mistakes and our sin, it has the opportunity to point our children back towards the cross. And the cross declares that no one is so far gone that they cannot still be forgiven by God. And so let me encourage you, if you have the opportunity today, pick up the phone, call your children, be specific, I'm sorry that I didn't do this better as a parent. I want to do better. But then number three, pray constantly. Your child may be so hostile towards the faith, involved in such an immoral lifestyle, so apathetic to the ways of God, that you've given up hope, that you don't see any possible way that they'll ever come back to a relationship with God. I simply want to remind you of one of the great themes of this story of God. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Nothing is impossible for God. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead can resurrect a dead faith. Do you believe it? I know one father who did. He, he was a member at the church that I preached for in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And every Monday when I'd come into the office and I'd receive the prayer request for the day, this would always be on there. Philip's prayer request, please pray for my boy to come back to his faith in Jesus Christ. Week after week after week, please pray for my boy to come back to his faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Eventually, Drew did. He did. And every time I think about Philip and that father praying for, and asking for others to pray with him, and I think about Drew coming to the realization that I do need Jesus in my life, I'm reminded of this great promise of God in Scripture, James chapter 5 and verse 15 through 20. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James says, we look at the example of Elijah, and we're just blown away by it. Here's this guy, and he prays, and he prays, and there's rain, and there's no rain, and all this is happening because he's beseeching God, and he's faithful, and he's heartfelt, and he's believing God can do this, and we want to say, wow, what a spiritual guy, and James says, no, 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 he's just a human just like the rest of us, and when you pray, God takes your prayers just as seriously, and so pray for your kids. Don't give up. Don't ever give up on your kids, no matter where they are or what they're doing or what they're involved in. Don't give up. Keep going before the Father. Keep asking people to pray with you. Keep inviting times of prayer collectively together for those kids that you want to see come back to know Jesus Christ. Now, to those of you who still have kids in the home, our prayer for you simply is this, that you may never be in a position where you're asking the question, why aren't my kids faithful? And so is there anything that you can do right now to increase the odds that they'll remain committed to the Lord? I want to suggest there is. And dads, it begins with you. Your family needs you to show up as a spiritual leader. God expects you to show up as a spiritual leader. When you look at Scripture, very little is written specifically about parenting. But what is, is directed at the fathers. There are only two scriptures in the entire New Testament that specifically talk about parenting. Both of those scriptures are directed at dads. If you look in the Old Testament, who does God hold responsible for faithless kids? Mothers or fathers? He always points the finger at the father. My point is there is an expectation for fathers to be spiritual leaders in the home. You say, what about moms? Do they have a responsibility? Of course they do. Moms play a huge role when it comes to matters of faith and the transfer of faith. And most moms are so good at it that it is tempting for us dads to say, you know what, that's their department. Mom's going to teach the kids how to pray and read scripture and have spiritual conversations. I'm going to teach the kids how to mow the yard and throw a spiral and make money. And that's a huge mistake. Dads, please do not discount the important role that God has entrusted you to play as a spiritual leader in the home. Numerous studies have been done that show this. The father is the parent who has the greatest impact or influence on their kids when it comes to spiritual matters. Listen to this quote from one such study. The common denominator between success and failure seems to be the spiritual depth and sincerity of the parents, especially the depth and sincerity of the father. There seems to be a strong correlation between the faith, commitment, and sincerity of the family's head and the spiritual vitality of his adult children. So why aren't there more men really playing this role as spiritual leader in the home? 
probably a lot of different reasons. I want to suggest a couple to you this morning. One is simply this. As a culture, we have moved from father knows best to father doesn't have a clue. I mean, just think about the way that fathers are portrayed on TV. How are they portrayed? Today, they're portrayed as what? Just oversized kids who create as many messes as the children for mom to come around and clean up. Now, it makes for really funny TV, but the negative impact is this, is it is negatively impacted the perception and expectation of fathers. And it's created feelings in many men that they are just insecure and inept when it comes to those type of responsibilities, while others have come to believe that their sole responsibility in the home is to be the comic relief, and that's about it. The second item, perhaps, that I would suggest is this. There's also some women who will not allow their husbands to lead. That every time a dad makes an attempt to lead spiritually, the mother criticizes or undermines his efforts. Now, you might be thinking, I would never do that to my husband, and I trust that you're sincere in saying that, but that does not necessarily mean that you're not doing that unintentionally. And I would encourage you this morning to have a conversation at some point during the day with your husband and just ask the question, have I ever made you feel some way that you're incapable of leading the family spiritually? Now, men, if your wife is humble and gracious enough to ask that question, I want to encourage you to be courageous enough to answer gently, but also honestly. Our homes need men who will lead spiritually. You say, how do I do that? Well, again, another great question, one that deserves a lot of conversation. But let's start here. Man, I want to encourage you to be uh, really the one who focuses the family on the spiritual mission. Should dads do all the teaching and praying and initiating spiritual conversations? Of course not. It's vitally important for mom to use her spiritual and her wisdom and her discernment and bring that into the family in partnership, just as it's important for the father. But don't put it all on your wife to make sure that the family is invested in spiritual pursuits. I want to encourage you men with the partnership of your wife to set the spiritual direction of your family, but then you be the one who guards that mission and direction. Men, you be the one who calls time out when the family is so busy that you're not making time for worship. You be the one who steps up and says, hey, we need to have a conversation because we're far more focused on grades and athletics and hobbies and we're not pursuing God. I want to encourage you men to be the one who says, you know what, something's not right. We're allowing too much of the world to creep into our home. Men, you be the one who gets the family together at bedtime and says, you know what, before everybody's tucked in, we're going to read some scripture, we're going to pray together, we're going to talk a little bit about what God's doing in our lives, and I want to encourage you to do that even when the kids are whining and fussing and not interested and mom's too tired to fight with them. And I'll warn you that there are going to be many moments that your family's going to get frustrated with you because you are so focused on the mission. Be strong enough to handle it anyway. Because the stakes are way too high 
as we talked about last week. Second thing, tune into your child's heart. Tune into your child's heart. It's not just French kids who are making the decision to leave their faith when they leave the home. It is also kids who were deeply involved in the youth group at their home churches. What happened? Well, this is what typically happened. Mom and dad decided if little Susie was involved in youth group and she also didn't get into trouble, that meant that she deeply loved Jesus Christ. That's an assumption that as parents we can't afford to make. We need to tune in to what's really going going on inside the hearts of our kids. Now, moms are really perceptive of this. And so a lot of ways they lead in this. But guys, dads, you need to be invested too. You need to watch. Are they pursuing Jesus? Pay pay attention. Do your children read scripture? Do they pray on their own? Do they initiate spiritual conversations? Do they have a growing desire for holiness in their life? Pay attention to what's going on, but don't just sit back and watch. Make sure that you're teaching and you're modeling the gospel that brings about heart transformation. Now, spiritual leadership is not easy. And fathers need a lot of support. And so I want to leave you with just some encouragement of how to support those men who may be trying to provide spiritual leadership in the home. And again, I I recognize moms need every bit as much encouragement and support. And so please don't think this is one way or the other. Everybody needs support and leadership. But since we're talking about dads, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Number one, pray for him. Pray for him. If you have a husband who's trying to lead in the home spiritually, I promise you that Satan's going to go after him with white hot intensity because that's the last thing he desires. And so you need to cover your husband in prayer. But number two, appreciate him. You don't have to ooh and ah every time he leads a prayer for the dinner or anything like that. But you'd be amazed at how much it means to a man to have his wife squeeze his hand or smile at him when he actually leads that prayer. Or for that wife, after one of those long nights of saying, we're going to do devotion, and the kid's fighting him on it and just wearing him out, for that wife to come alongside afterwards and say, hey, I know this is really hard, but your spiritual leadership's making a difference in our home. That'll keep a guy going for a long time. And then finally, I want to encourage you to endorse him. And here's what I mean by that. Most likely, your kids, they're going to be real comfortable coming to you with spiritual questions. And so often you're getting those spiritual questions. You can handle it. You can answer it. There's no reason for you not to. And so you've got it. But the goal is to help your kids begin to see your husband, too, as a spiritual leader if they're not already. And so when your child comes to you and says, hey, I've got this spiritual topic or question I want to talk about, just take a moment to say something like this. That's a great question, and I really want to address it. We're going to talk about it, but what do you say we get your dad's take on this as well? So let's ask him into the conversation. By inviting him into that conversation, the family having it together, and your kids begin to regard both of you as spiritual leaders in the home, which is so important. So just think about how to do that as well. So as we wrap up this morning, here's what I'd like for us to do. I want to invite the men who are fathers uh, to please stand for just a moment. Go ahead and stand up. Man, as we close this morning, here's what I want to say to you. So many of you are great spiritual leaders in the home, and you're doing 
everything you possibly can. And I just want to thank you because it's not easy. Thank you for your willingness to do that. But for those of you who are standing and you're feeling a little bit convicted by the Holy Spirit because you're thinking that's not really what I've been doing this, and you're feeling guilty and a little bit of shame, please, let's not go there. Let me say to you this, today is a new day. And today you can step into that role. And if you're not sure exactly how to go about that or what to do, there are so many people here who would love to partner with you and share conversations and ideas, people who can share with you what some of the things that did go well in their home and a lot of things that went bad in their home, and they can have this conversation. If that would be a benefit to you, just let us know. But we do appreciate you. Now, if you see a man standing up and you're near them, I want to invite everyone to stand up and just place a, a hand on their shoulder because we want to close by praying over our fathers this morning for the role that they play. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we first recognize that you are... Uh, the one who is our spiritual father who shepherds us so incredibly well, who loves us and adores us so much that you're willing to discipline us and to steer us in the right direction, that you're there for us in the tender moments showing compassion and kindness. You lift us up when we fail. Put all of our trust in you. Your wisdom, you've entrusted children to other human beings and we try our best, but we know we don't always get it right. And so this morning, Father, we just, first we repent before you. We acknowledge that we're imperfect people. We're sorry for the things that we've done who have, that have negatively impacted our kids, that have created some space not only between us and them, but at times have created their understanding of who you are because they have viewed you through us. Please forgive us and please help us to do better. And please... For kids who are wrestling with pain that was inflicted upon them in the home, I pray that you'll soften hearts and some good conversations might take place in the next few days in which true amends and apologies are made and there's reconciliation within relationships. Father, I pray for the men who are standing here this morning. For those who have a heart to lead spiritually, I pray that you'll please give them wisdom and discernment, encourage their spirit. Just give them a boost of energy today to rededicate themselves to this great mission you've entrusted us with. And for every woman who is here, who is leading in her home as well, who's an encouragement, who is such a great influence upon her kids, I pray that you'll do the same for her, that you'll renew her spirit, that you'll bless her, to love her, help her to know that uh, she is every bit as important as any man who's standing, that it takes partnership and communication, and we're all in this together. We pray for our kids, God. We pray for our kids who are a long ways from you right now. We pray for our kids who are near you right now. We pray for all of them for the rest of their days to seek you and to have a heart for you. For those who are not, it's a hard prayer, God but we pray that you'll do whatever is necessary to bring them back to you because nothing matters more. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Mas, não, 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 mas, não